Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Good morning and welcome to this week's broadcast of the Paula Price Show, the Jesus and Paula Show, starring Jesus Christ and Paula Price, the one and only of both of those things, both of those people. There can be only one. Okay, today is Millennial Exchange Thursday, this evening, 6.30 to 8 p.m. The Millennial Exchange has returned. Now, what is the Millennial Exchange? And I'm telling you, Dr. Price, we're just going to have to call it Millennial Plus exchange because the plusers those of us outside of the millennial age bracket still show up and it's live here at the congregation of the mighty typically we're in the cafe today we will be downstairs in the grand ballroom because we have multiple events going on at once in the facility yay jesus (laughs) so we're shifting and it is a pulling forward of what now is the uh, the Jesus and Paula show, what is now taking it on with Paula Price started out as let's just talk where God makes sense. And Dr. Price would answer questions from the audience. She'd bring a word of wisdom, knowledge, insight, prophecy, and then largely answer our questions. And so that's what it is. The Millennial Exchange is Dr. Price reconnecting with millennials because when we were younger, uh, now millennials are a specific age group that's, now, but ultimately it's just whoever falls in that category, you know, because we, Generation X, Y, Millennial, we don't even know. They just have to name all of us. And, and with that, answering the question, she wanted to reconnect because she met us at that age. I was 20, just turning 21 years old when I met Dr. Price. We were all so much younger than we are now. And she poured and poured and poured into us. And there was a lot of empty space to pour into Because at that age, you are more empty than you are full. And so you want to make sure that what's pouring into you is the mind of Christ, the mind of God. We really were challenged to think on a deeper level about life in general. And that's before social media. That's before all of these other things that strip you and rob you of your identity and hijack your innocence and youth. We were talking last night very quickly. It came up in a a moment of conversation yesterday about how this generation is just robbed of youth and how somebody said, man, when I was 16 years old, I wasn't even, I don't even know what it was. And Dr. Price said, well, yeah, but, I mean, now we have all of this exposure. You're talking about kids in kindergarten being pressured to define their gender, to choose their gender, to choose it. Decide who you want to be for the rest of your life. We used to say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, what career do you want to have? Not what gender do you think you are. Binary, non-binary, you, you're fluid. You're, I'm thinking, what? Fluid was like, I have to go to the bathroom. That's fluid. And the millennial exchange is a return of that connecting with the mind of God 
to and with our young people, with our millennials, or those of us who are beyond the millennial age (coughs) but still need that wisdom because you're never really too old to gain that wisdom. And so tune in. If you are here in Tulsa, you can join us, or we're on Clubhouse. So if you're following Dr. Price on Clubhouse, then you will get the notification. If you are not, then you need to follow her, or what is it called on Clubhouse? Is it following? I mean, you know, everything has its own liking, following, hitching your wagon to, whatever. Dr. Paula Price, Apostle Paula Price, find her so you can get notified when we go live with the Millennial Exchange because it is great, fantastic, fantastic wisdom. Next week (laughs) is the Apostolic Summit already. It's already. How did that happen? How did that happen so quickly? It's November. You still have time to register. Registration is still open. We're going to take you to this quick commercial break, and we'll be right back with the rest of the Jesus and Paula show. I'm so looking forward to next week to learn about the mind of a principality. We don't act like offspring of a king as a body. We, we don't act like the children of a king. The Listen, we don't even act like the subjects of a king. And whenever you think about acting like your parents, you act like the environment in which you were raised, the conversations that you heard, as Dr. Price calls table talk, And you can tell that our table talk has not been about the sovereignty of the Lord when it comes to who he is because we don't act like that. You can meet the children of great people. They're great children. Now, I'm not saying perfect in in, in any of those things, but their mentality, if the parent has poured into them appropriately, is thinking along the order of the world in which that parent is in. Military house. What did, what did kids say? Oh, no, I was in the military home. Oh, we know what that means. That means that you, boom, 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 boom. But when we say church house, ministry home, oh, well, uh, we typically start with how many people don't want to do the family business. How many people want to run as far away as they can from ministry, from the church, from the house of the Lord. Of course, this is not everybody. It's not even close to everybody, but it's a very strong narrative and reality in many people's lives. So I'm excited to sit and learn of saving our nation, the church's role in doing that. Gone are the days of us having the uh, luxury of saying, that's the big bad world out there. Let's come in here and talk about family things and ignore all of that. Let's just come together 
and gather to hear messages that will make us feel better about ourselves as we are or maybe encourage us or give us some few tips on whatever we want tips on. And we'll just pray and leave all this big, heavy political stuff to the Lord. And we see where that's gotten us. Decades and decades of doing that is we looked up and having the government say, you can't have church. And if we didn't have the president in office that we had, it would have been a very different story about mandating. These folk would have probably nailed doors shut on buildings, wouldn't put it past them. We have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do for our king. We have a lot of work to do to recover his kingdom, not just our kingdom. Because the, the, what recent doctors have been about us, our economy, our families, our homes, our jobs, our, our destiny, our purpose, but not about the Lord's, which is what we teach here, and that's what you learn. We have to get a, be about our father's business and bring back his kingdom for his glory so he can get back in power, his people can get in power. Last week, so many statements were stated, Lord have mercy. I feel like I've been punched between the eyes so many times in between Thursday, Sunday, and then leadership Woo! on Sunday. But in last week's show, Dr. Price said the elect will reject whatever is Satan's. And a true elect person, someone who is truly of the elect, will recognize that's not God, even if they can't prove it. But this, how many of us said that over the years when different trends and different things rolled out in the body of Christ, rolled out, no, uh, uh, we know how many people who ended up transitioning to our ministry because the one thing that the ministry did they were in was the final straw. No, I just can't. I, I cannot. No, because that's not, the, I just don't, that's not God. I don't know what it is, but that's just not. And the elect, no, even instinctually will know and have because the, the Holy Spirit on the inside of you is like, I don't want to be there. I don't want to do that. Let's go. I have to go. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's like, let's go. I'm done. We know people who joined our church, they literally got up out of service that they were in. The Lord said, leave. Go over here, and they haven't left. Because it's like, I'm done. And, and ultimately, actually, God ended up judging uh, some of these ministries very harshly for who the leader truly was and the people who covered it up and everything like that. And so I thought the elect will reject whatever is Satan's, and Jesus protects his own, and he will keep us from falling. But you really do have to be in Christ for him to keep you from falling. We, a lot of people like to be near Christ, in the vicinity of Christ, calling on the name of Jesus. I'm just going to dial him up and tell him what I want. And <laughs> Okay, call him up. If you could just call him up and tell him what you want and keep him at it within arm's reach, but not actually be in him and him in us. These are different times. This is an age. And I remember uh, when Dr. Price recently said it, she said, but this is more of the era when Christ came. Devils walking around freely, people throwing their witchcraft all over the place in you, jewelry, merchandising. I mean, we really did come up in the land of the free, home of the brave, even in the church. We're just appalled at all of this darkness that is boldly showing its face. But when he came, that's how everything was dark. I am the light of the world. Oh, now that's an interesting concept, the light of the world. Because things are so shadowy so dark and what happens when you're in darkness for a long time your eyes adjust to the darkness 
and the light hurts them. And many people have a reflex against the light of Christ because there's so much darkness in their world that his light is offensive. It's painful. When you, come on, if you just had a couple days off from work, or maybe just one day, you don't even open the blinds because you're like, I don't know, I might get back in the bed. I might crawl back in. I don't want to. You put on the dim lamps. You want to keep things at a certain level. If you have to get up and you maybe go back to bed, you don't want to wake all the way up. And you know that strong light snatches sleep. I mean, snatches it straight out. It takes your slumber. It takes away all of that because light is awakening. In the light of Christ, shining in the dark places in people's souls, those who like their darkness don't like the light. And you can tell because when the real word comes in, when the real gospel comes in, uh, when the real truth comes in, they back up and whoops, and back up and back up or make excuses because that bright light is not what they want. I mean, and, and even as an individual, period, when the light of the truth shines in an area that you don't want to think about. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to look at that. I don't want to be told I'm wrong. I don't want to be told I have to forgive. I don't want to be told I have to let go. And so you do everything to keep the lights off in that, in that room of your soul. You just close it. You know the room that you really don't want to clean. You just turn off the lights and close the door and pretend it's not there. And look at all the things that I, all the things that are in order, all the things that are straight. And the Lord is like, but we need to open this door over here. No, 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 no. Because if I open it, then I have to think about it. And if I think about it, then I have to do something about it. And if I have to do something about it, that's going to take energy. It's going to take time. I'm going to have to revisit. I'm going to have to examine. And we don't want to do that, which is why I love this ministry. 3D, 3D, set your soul free with 3D. Hey, that'll market. That'll sell. Set your soul free with 3D. It is time out for thinking you have an endless supply of auto-renewal of another chance with God. We are seeing in our organization an ultimatum from the Lord in this season is a real thing. Alas, alas, I'm going to throw you this rescue line one more time, and that's it. And he meant it. Dr. Price has prophesied it. She has said it more frequently and and she has said this over the years when you hear something more frequently that means it is imminent you know you're going to be great one day okay somebody tells you that word every 10 years and then you start hearing it every five and then every couple of and every time you turn around means it's descending upon you to make the the manifestation of that to happen and so she has been prophesying and saying about people about children god saying don't blame me I don't want to hear it. Don't do this. and It's not my fault. And it's not. He is giving many of us one more shot. And you don't have to be 99 years old to get that. You can be young. You can be middle-aged. You can, it doesn't matter. We think we can calculate the measure of God's patience. We think we can calculate how many times he is going. See, 70 times 7, that's us. We need to forgive and forgive. But God is like three strikes. We said last night in youth group, we were talking about Moses. I said, you know, I think God is the original three strikes, you're out. He killed the one guy and then the other thing and then the rock and then you're done. 
At least that's what was documented. And with God, you can run out of road. You can run out of grace. You can mess him over and the people that he has placed in your life to the point where he's like, we're done. And I don't owe you anything. And we have really taught the people of God that he owes us more than we owe him. You know, like he should be happy that we want to serve him or something. How did Lucifer get out? And a third, go with him. Yeah, right. There is no precedence for that anywhere in Scripture that, hey, it's just, it's just, but he's the love, just he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, he is jealous for me. He just, and we harp on all the songs of how thankful God is to us for somehow, you know, you watch these television shows where they're these, uh, you know, angels and whatever, their ultimate, ultimate thing is to really be like us. I'll give up all of my power just to love a human being, just to love, I just love her, I just love him, and I'm going to give up all of my power just to see to it. And and people believe that mess is true. You're going to surrender all of your immortality and eternal life and everything for somebody who's going to rot and die 20 years from now. And we really do impart into people that God's ultimate highest pleasure is that we're happy. Well, he, the Lord just wants to make you happy. He just wants to see to it that you're happy, that you're his child, that you have everything you need, and, and, and then, yeah, and everything is great. As long as you're happy, God's happy. That's how we got here. I've heard people say it. I've heard it preached. I've read articles online, books that are published. It's astounding. So it's really no surprise that we're here right now. Why do we have to have a summit about learning the mind of a principality? People sit down, they say, hmm, the mind of a principality. Crickets. <laughs> These are things that should automatically be connected with the Lord Jesus Christ. Automatically. Automatically be connected with apostles and prophets. The fivefold. Automatically. And it's like, hmm? Hmm? What interesting concepts you're teaching us. Teach us, Rabbi. And we're going back to basics, back to the foundation, because it has been so messed over. Huh. And then we talked about currency last week. Currency. Now, every talent has a currency. And we, she brought that back forward on Sunday with the leaders as well about marketing and yourself, but believing in yourself, but believing in the kingdom of God. I mean, we, we just have a tremendous responsibility. We have a lot of ground to make up. And we've heard it. Old, the old way is not returning. Old things have truly passed away. And we think that, hey, behold, all things have become new, that it's new like a new pair of shoes. Yes. It's new what I want. New wardrobe. Yes. New car. A new car. Dun, 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 dun. We act like it's a game show. All things have become new. Look at what you want, prophet. You want a new life, like your dream life. Not this life we woke up to in this year 2020 nightmare. Like, what? Yeah, all, all things have become new, but what is the new? We always want to impose, and they lived happily ever after in Jesus. Now, Jesus is happy, but that could mean because he just threw a wrecking ball in something, and he's like, yeah, I just destroyed an entire institution that was taking my people out. And we have to clean up the rubble and rebuild it with and for the Lord. Are we ready for God's future? This is what we're doing here. Every broadcast, every sermon, 
every broadcast on God's Royal Network is about arming, equipping, and readying the saints for the work that has to be done to recover all. And a recovery mission and recovering what is there is not pleasant, it's not pretty, it's not easy, but it is necessary. Whining and grumbling and, oh, I mean, I just know the days and the times, especially coming up in my mentorship development, when it's just you and God and nobody else is around. Anybody have those moments where you're just having your moment? And the Lord is like, stop that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's one. There's one went on his soul in the room. <laughs> yes. And he's like, stop it. How am I supposed to get something? To, how are you going to be great for me in the kingdom? And you can't stay on top of your homework. How, how are you going to stand here and tell me, yes, Lord, I want to do this and do that. And you're not even willing to hurt yourself consistently for as long as it takes. Because we're good for the short term, aren't we? Yeah, I'll push this week. I'll push this month. I'll give it for this project or this deadline because we can certainly be deadline-driven. That's why it's called crunch time. But then after that, I'm going to crunch, and then I'm going to fall out. And nobody should expect anything great from me for a whole semester because you have no idea what it took me to get through the last semester. I'm talking about myself. If this happens to be you too, just know we're all in this together. He's like, do you want to be great, though? Do you? I mean, do you want to be great? Do you just want to be okay? Do you want me to lean on you to get things done in my kingdom? Or do you just want me to call on you like a temp? And a lot of us have that temp mentality. Now, we want the, now, we want the full-time salary and benefits with the temp obligations. I just want to show up for this and this. I want to set my hours. <laughs> Anybody ever pursue the career where you can set your, and, and we're, we're here now, even be work for yourself, be your own boss, set your own hours. Do you know what I know about being my own boss? The last thing I set is my own hours. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm working more hours. Lies you tell to get people to set your own hours because I can. And, and look at me. You're sitting here at this meeting. You didn't set your hours. This schedule dictated where you are. I'm looking at your schedule for the next six months. You're on the road. Are you really setting your hours? No. And so we have that temp mentality. Oh, I just want to pop in and pop out whenever I need to make a little bit of extra something for the Lord. But the rest of the time, he can just leave me alone. When you're an executive in a company, it all falls on you. You're the first phone call that you get goes to your phone. Doesn't matter what time it is. There are times when my phone rings and I look at the time and I'm like, this cannot be good. Hello, Apostle. Apostle, I need to talk to you for a second. And my stomach is like, yes. Okay. Well, it doesn't doesn't matter if you're on vacation. It does not matter if you're if it's two o'clock in the morning at home. It does not matter. You don't have the luxury of saying, "Well, my phone was off." It's on silent. You know what? Saying my phone is not on almost ever silent, unless I'm on the broadcast, and usually even then it's just on vibrate. You need to turn. We ex- powerful people don't turn their phones on silent. 
They don't turn their phones off unless you're going into prayer, you know, something like that, where it's like, well, do that. We don't have that luxury of being off the radar, even if you're off duty. You can be off duty but still be within a phone call, a text message away. And in Christ, when he's growing you up and he's bigging you up, do you notice that everything interrupts you? Everything, 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 everything interrupts you. What do you mean you're unavailable? I called you at X amount of time. We were at a meeting last night, Dr. Price and I, before church, and a a politician is uh, running again for his seat, and his assistant got up there to introduce him. And I love meeting other people, my counterparts, and other careers who have this job because it really helps you keep your perspective on expectations of working with great people. And so he's talking about the congressman, and wasn't he, Dr. Price, talking about him and what he does and how he respects him and his fire, and he has a family and he has everything else that he still stays on top of and the support of his wife and how he's the first one up in the morning and the last one to go to bed, you know, 4 or 5 o'clock, he's up and he says, and I know because he's calling me. I was like, right. He can't say, tell his boss, oh, my phone was on silent. I didn't hear you. I'm getting my sleep. I'm getting my rest. I just can't. Not when you have those kind of responsibilities. And God would love to raise up a generation of people to say, when you call, I will answer. And not with an attitude. How about this? Maybe you don't have to call because I'll already be on my way. I will already be there. I won't be waiting to be told my job. I'm just going to do it for you, Lord. So the mind of a principality, these are things I'm sure we will learn at some point next week of are we ready to be ready? Are we ready to be called upon? Are we ready for the weight and the responsibility of who we say we want to be to the Lord? I want to be used by you. Sit there and judge every fallen minister. Judge every person who got it wrong. Judge every single one who didn't do this and didn't do that. But can you get it right? I mean, I remember those days the Lord asking me, but can you get it right? Can I count on you, though? Because you think you know. Years ago, Dr. Price used to teach us, but you think you know why people fall. You think you know why they quit. You think you know, but you don't. Because they didn't set out to fail God any more than you do. They didn't set out to be a disappointment. They didn't set out. So many people get in trouble in their lives, really probably didn't set out to end up there. Yet the decisions they made still got them there. Are you, do you, are you ready? Are we ready to have the mind of a principality? Because with that comes the responsibility, the demand, but then also the rewards. The benefits, there are great rewards to these positions, tremendous rewards, but you have to earn them. Just like in any high-level job, you have to earn them, and time served does not equate to automatic promotion, automatic elevation, automatic trust, automatic. It does not equate to that necessarily. Sometimes people think because, what, you know somebody? or you're related to somebody, or you're friends with somebody, that that automatically puts you in a place that it really doesn't. Or because you've been doing something for a long time somewhere else, or there, and it's about how. I mean fruit, 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 fruit. Scripture talks all the time, many times, old and new, in various ways about their fruit. You will know them by their fruit. And that's in every level of the position. There have been times over the years when I wanted to get 
all self-righteous and high and mighty and so-and-so is getting recognition that I think I should get. And And the Lord is like, but they're doing more than you. They're doing the job as it's required. With a better spirit. With a better. First thing she said, I'm already ringing the bell. With a better spirit. Nobody wants to work with an unpleasant spirit. And the minute they get an opportunity to let it go, they replace them. Yeah. Most people don't realize. You're like, well, I, all of the things I did, and every time you walk out, the boss is like, I'm going to get rid of that as yeah. soon as I can. Yeah. I'm gonna give, they give me one, one reason. They're gone. Uh-huh. Because people will take less skills yeah. and less experience yes. if they can get a pleasant, amenable, and also developable person. Mm-hmm. Most people, the church, because they always have this I'm doing God a favor mentality, they have this arrogance. That arrogance began in the church and spilled over into the world. Ooh. Because yeah. it has to happen in the spirit first. Yeah. So, you know, the whole idea of, well, I've been here for 14 years. Yeah, but you've aggravated me for 13 of them. Oh, my. Okay? 13. I'm done. I'm out. Or, or either I'm always having to explain your temperament and explain your disposition and having to explain away how why nobody wants to work with you. I, I mean, I try to get them to do things. They won't do it. You're unpleasant. Mm-hmm. You know, people will work do, work do wonders for pleasant folks. Yes. They will do wonders. Why do you think politicians who know nothing, do nothing, and say less still get all the okay, – okay, and you know why? Because people feel like they're – feel good to be around. One of the things I trained Ashley about, I think all of them, but Ashley because, well, she was always there. And But one of the things that I trained you about, as I said, Ashley, the one currency that will get you every other currency is what? Your personality. personality. I said people feel warm and fuzzy about around Ashley. They don't know why. They just do. They just feel like, wow, but she's just – Ashley's harder than most of the folks that y'all think are hard. But nobody knows that. See, they don't really expect that. So many, many of you, you want God to use you. And God told me once, he said, well, Paula, but if my people don't like you, they're not going to obey you. Right. <laughs> right. Is that right? Yeah. So if my people are, are they're going to obey you to the point that they must, but as soon as they cannot and as soon as they can throw you away or discredit you, they're going to do it. You all know this on your workplace. But we feel like because people work with God, that God somehow or another forces them mm. to be what he wants them to be. If God has to force you, he usually has to break you. If he has to break you, then he has to take time to make you, which means mm. you are out of circulation. Yeah. You're out of commission for a long time. So it's better for you to be able to talk with the Lord and for him to say, you know what, that doesn't work. Now, I don't care. This is how who I am. And God said, well, then be who you are on the shelf. Right. He has such a huge shelf. Yes, he does. So many people on that shelf. shelf. Yeah. It's just, I'm shelving you. And you're like, well, not really. Yeah, nobody's really calling you for anything other than what's required other than the mandatory. You know if you're on the shelf when only, you're only called in for difficult things. But you're not going to be the front runner. You're not going to take the lead because God knows that Giving you the lead is going to raise up that chip in your ego that's going to make you abusive Mm. or unpleasant. There's some people with amazing talent Mm -hmm. in the body of Christ. God said, but I can't use them. I know a person whose talents were through the roof, very close to me, through the roof. 
and no matter what, you could not tell this person that this is how the leadership role goes or this is how um, organizational dies. You couldn't tell this person anything. And, you know, so I go, but, but every time they turned around, they were in trouble on their job. They were, you know, demoted and whatever. So I said to God, I said, but God, they love you so much. He said, loving me is one thing. He said, but I can't use them because people won't hear. See, because if he has to break you, he's got to break everybody you're supposed to touch to, to become what you are because you won't change. It's easier to replace you and let you break yourself in humility. And that's what we don't tell. You know, it's so interesting that we, we kind of weaved our way to this subject because today we're talking about figuring God out. You know, I can't figure God out. How many times have you said that? And as soon as you know you got him, I mean, you know I got him, I got him, he switches up on you. And so even starting with that subject, many of you, you think God is going to use you because you're charismatic, because you quote scripture, because you walk around doing good deeds, but understand God has what I call, you know, um, what, I, what I would like to say, staff use, uh, regular staff usage. Like God will have, have you do stuff because he called you to ministry, so he'll give you ministerial things to do, but he'll never give you ministerial dominion. He'll never give you ministerial um, uh, credibility. He won't do it because all of those have to be earned. Mm. And so he will, so, and, and you'll get mad every time you go someplace. You, people love you right away, and then, then not long after, they don't call you, they don't answer your phone. Because, why? Because people are trying to succeed, and you don't have success on your mind because you have upstaging everything around for the sake of your ego. So your thing is ego success. If, if people see me, people know me, people know I did it. That's not what works for God. And see, you will never be a better servant for God than you are aware of and committed to God. Mm-hmm. See, you can be committed to your calling and still not be committed to God. Ooh. And many people are committed to their calling, and they're not committed to God. And the reason that I say that is because you don't care how what you do reverberates on him. You just don't. It's like, I'm sorry, I just, I'm tired. I'm sorry, I got to go. I'm sorry, I did my eight. I did my five. If you're one of those people who do your eight and five and you out, don't worry about it. God's never going to use you for anything more than that because most major projects take more than eight hours. Right. <laughs> you know, that's just simple. You, are you okay with saying goodbye to the grunts you're leaving behind? Because, I, because you have a life. God said live your life. Meanwhile, I'm going to use what works. Because you, being there for God is a very peculiar thing, and many times you don't know it. I'm, I'm taking and making a nice little um, little workbook in, in, from my, uh, what is it, my, my book, God is a Thinker. You don't know how God thinks. You think God thinks like you. And when he, and when he doesn't let you know his thoughts, you just fill them in for him. I'm just going to fill these in, Lord, you know, you know, God's been around a long time, a little senility, you know, he kind of got it. Yeah, he kind of, you know. Got a little Jodem, you know what I mean? So, you know, um, but you don't realize you are always thinking for God because you do not want God's thoughts to alter your life. My God. I want to be home for dinner at 5. I like my comfy cozy. I like that. That's good. But don't yell at him and don't balk when he passes you over and passes you over and passes you over. Here's what you need to remember about God talking about figuring God out, 
here's what you need to remember about God. Has got to succeed. So he's not going to use failures for a venture he wants to succeed. He uses failures for things he wants to take down. Figuring God out. Isn't that an interesting statement? Like God will use Satan for what he wants to destroy. What he wants to replace, what he wants to displace, he will use that. He will not use the people who have historically not completed what he asked them to do, blow up that folk, separate, keep stuff going. Those people have a place. Do you know that that is what I'm saying to you is in Scripture, the Bible says, God made all things for himself, even the disobedient, for the day of judgment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when judgment day comes, you'll be used. Mm-hmm. Isn't that something? That's, that's an amazing thought. God uses the, the success, successful people when he wants to succeed. People he knows won't fail, won't drop out, won't change the rules, won't change the laws, won't be barking at order, barking at instruction, will follow directions. He will use them. If you look at the times that God used you and see how short-lived they always were. Wow. Because you can hear one thing in the pulpit, but your life story is something else altogether. And so you look around and you say, I mean, this keeps happening to me. Yeah, because you keep happening to it. Remember this. If you don't get much more out of today's uh, discussion, I want you to remember God uses the successful to succeed and the unsuccessful to destroy. I created the waster to destroy. And unsuccessful people, meaning to or not, because, when, you know, God's not caught up in his emotions as much as people think he is because it didn't say in the beginning were the feelings. Right. And the feelings were with God. And the feelings were God. And the same was in the beginning. It didn't say that. It didn't say in the beginning were the emotions or in the beginning were the sentiments. It said in the beginning was the word. That means logic and intelligence. Mm-hmm. See, when we read that, and then so you, if, if you have just these archetypical passages that you lay down for foundation and premise, you will never have to worry about how do you weigh yourself. So, and, and what does Jesus say over and over again? He didn't say with my heart. He said with my word first uh-huh. and then with my heart. So you obey me with the, my word with a good and noble heart. Mm-hmm. But if your heart's not good and noble, he still wants his word done. He, can, he still can't let his word fall to the ground unfulfilled. He cannot do that because you can't stay God real long if all everything you produce is a failure. So what we see on the front is like there's this, this struggle between success and failure, you know, obedience and that. But in the back, those principalities, they don't play. They do not play. That angel that showed up to Manoah, he thought he was going to con him. So tell me your name because he's trying to get something new to worship. That angel's like, no, no, no. You will not be worshiping me. Why are you asking my name seeing it's wonderful? Closest you're going to find out about that angel's name is that it's wonderful. Now, whether his name is actually wonderful or not, we don't know. But we do know that my, his, and you look at that, my name is too great to come out of your mouth because my name is exclusively for the mouth of the Almighty. <laughs> so then he says, see, there are, that's why a lot of times, because those in God's world, your name is not just an epithet. It's not just what people call you. In God's world, your name it, it ignites 
your actions. It generates who you are, and it motivates. It, um, so when God calls a Gabriel or, or a Michael, they know, oh, he's calling us for war. That's it. <laughs> he's calling us to change nations. See, you here it's like, you know, you can have 500, you know, Pete's, Sally's, Henry's in the room, but not in God. In God, every name means something. That's why he said, I'm going to give you a new name. So the angel is like, I didn't come here to be your friend. I didn't even come here to have dinner. Can I feed you something? No, no. I'm, no. I'm going to make an offering. He said, well, go, he said, can I give you an offering? Go on and make it. He's sure the angel's going to eat this. Angel hits it with his rod and sends it up to God. Wow. Yeah. I'm not here to be your friend. I'm not here to be your companion. I'm not here to be your dinner mate. I'm here to deliver a word that will become flesh in nine months. You understand that if God could give me the, the voice, not the voice, of the audience and the ears to hear this, it would revolutionize how we see ourselves in Christ and how we behave. God had made Peter. Simon, Simon. Look at when he used Peter when he used Simon because that's important to him. We have all the, you know, these other names show up, and, and, and um, we, we don't even know when those two, those two, at least in the, in the Protestant Bible, because if you get another Bible, all those angels' names shows up, show up. And they show up as the princes and principalities that take care of God's creation. Very different, isn't it? So you think, so, so for God to put fame on your name, you have got to come through the battlefield and the devastation of shame. If God can't shame you, he can't name you. If he can't name you, he can't fame you. <laughs> Did you want to hear something? <laughs> Everybody that God immortalized in Scripture had to go through shame and humiliation. Peter said, Peter got it. Before honor is humility. Finally, Pete, glad you got it. That before God elevates you, he's not interested in how great you are when you come to him. He knows that, he knows that greatness is not his. He's interested in how great he can make you once he destroys you. Jesus said, if you fall on this rock, you're going to be broken. It's going to be a little uncomfortable. But if this rock falls on you, all hope is gone because you're crushed to power it. So we've given, and so you stand up there, and you listen to those things, those pastors, and and they give you these sermons, thinking that they want to give you a positive spin on your salvation. Salvation in and of itself is positive. Come on. Okay, so you don't have to give me a positive spin to motivate me to appreciate it, because I once was blind and now I see. I once was lost, and now I found. I once was bound, and now I'm free. So tell me, where is the negativity? No, we don't want to tell you why God wants you to die, why he wants to crush you. Yet the scripture says that Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. Jesus, wait a minute, Jesus, aren't you the same uh, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? 
Aren't you Alpha and Omega, beginning, the end, first and last? How can you learn obedience? Because he knew obedience is the son of God. Now he has to learn obedience as the son of man. His human side has learned to obey. And we see that at age 12, scaring his parents half to death, (laughs) thinking they lost it. No, it's bad enough to think you lost your kid, but not the child of God. You don't get over that. Like, oh, my God, I lost the Messiah. What do I do? You don't get over that. And so, but at age 12, he's standing behind, and the rabbi, he's working his destiny early, and God is allowing it to let him know what he what it is that he knows, but also let them know they don't have it and that they long since left Israel's God. Mm. So we have a lot of doctrines you all are following, and then you're wondering why God won't honor the doctrine. God's like, I didn't say that. I haven't honored anything. I didn't deliver. I don't know what to tell you. I don't have to. So, you know, I've been having a great time with the Almighty, as I do, but you know, we want to say, we want to say that we have the mind of Christ, but we don't know what that looks like. We don't know what it looks like because we have the mind of doctrine. We have the mind of theology, and we have got to be able, and heresy, that, the last one came from Jesus. Okay. Okay, but we have got to know what was Christ's mind. When you read the, the Gospels, it is very emphatic what Christ's mind is. It was so emphatic they killed him. Anybody trying to kill you for your mind? Nobody's trying to kill you for your doctrine. They're not. Because Satan feels like he's done an amazing job of of, of overlaying and burying the truth under the rubble of humanism, Mm -hmm. idolatry, and paganism. They're telling you. The pagans are telling you. As a matter of fact, they've taken our Bible to teach in their university. So you know you better know it by the Holy Ghost because they don't. They're going to give you the same theological ilk that has gotten us this way. So they're, I mean, literally, these universities are learning the Bible. Why? Because they want to downgrade it to, a, to another sacred text, not the living word of the eternal God. Wow. So you have got, that's why we're on this organic journey, because God is like, no, no, y'all not going to defeat me with that. So while they are learning it to make it a sacred text for, to build some other, uh, plug their other rituals in, plug their other religions in, their perversions in, because all of it, if you notice, every time you deal with pagan Christianity, you're dealing with idolatry, witchcraft, and sex, drugs and sex. Those are the four things. You can know, you, you will know if you're in a false religion by those things. How do I know if I'm in a false religion? How do I know if I'm in paganism? Well, New Age was paganism. First of all, and, and, and the, the backdrop of all paganism is nature. It's always nature, not, you know, naturistic. That's why, you, you know, we've, it's got to do the, the trees. We've got to do the solstice. We've got to do anything nature. And that's a carryover from before the Holy Ghost hit the planet. Mm-hmm. And the only thing people had to show a reverence or devotion to their deity was nature. That's the power of the cross, the majesty of the cross, is that God took people from rocks and stones to heavenly places. See, you have got to know that. So when people start, like, you know, we're coming up on February, and, you know, we're going to do Valentine's. You're going to know your church's paganism by, pagan by the way they do Valentine's Day. They make a big dis- just like you, you know the churches that are pagan by Halloween. 
I don't care if you call it a trick or trunk. Give me a break. That's the most embarrassing thing you can do with that man's blood. Trick or trunk? A trick is already a game and a lie, a deception. So it's a deception, be deceived or be trunked. Well, one of them had trick or trunk. Mm-hmm. But trunk or treat? So let the trunk treat you? So, and, and I will say it, and I don't care, what, I don't care any one of them, because it's a cowardly alternative to standing for Christ. It is utter cowardice. You can, you're going to tell your, and then you're going to ask God to keep your kids off drugs? Are you kidding? You've been tricking and treating them since they were kids. That devil knows he owns your kids. He knows he owns your kids because he's tricked and treated your child all the time they've been on the planet. Because in your mind, oh, it's just a fun thing because God doesn't let nobody, he doesn't let anybody get past the object. So you're looking at the object. But what talked your preacher, your pastor, into celebrating Satan's birthday? Because that's who you need to be looking at when you trick and trunk next year. That's who you need to look at. What is it that that's going to, how is that going to do anything for Jesus Christ? Not one thing for Jesus Christ. Then you got to dress your kids up as a lie, pretensive. Yeah, I'm, I'm hard because I'm hard on any time, anything about, about Satan acting as if he was on the cross. If he got on the cross, it would have been useless because he's already dead. Wow. So they have to put him up there. He's already dead. Adam did not die until Satan entered him. That tells a lot. So now we're coming up on Valentine's Day, and your church is going to have the little red and the white and whatever. Now, what you do in your home and your own marriage is your business. But I don't, because I, I don't have any say over that. But I will tell you that a, a day that used to be just children and little cut-out Valentine's that has become a date that you can't even go out to eat on. And you got to lie. you got to take another person and then run to a hotel to have sex like you've never had it before. I'm like, you can just run home. You can just get takeaway. Just DoorDash. There you go. Grubhub. Uber Eats. Pick one. I don't care. Let you know. And people and industry is capitalizing off of your idolatrous soul. If your marriage or your relationship doesn't work and all you need is four, four hours and a night, to pretend you're doing something with it that has not been working, or you go out there and you're picking up something to, to serve to Whoa. Cupid, Dionysus, Apollo, those are the, and, and you know it's those gods. Don't say it's Jesus, because Jesus is not that. The creator <coughs> is not the creature. And Jesus didn't fall. He came down. Satan got to earth because he fell. He came down to earth in a sperm. The sperm was a spaceship, his time capsule. Outside of time, in time. The minute he entered that sperm, he was a, a, a product of time and physical space and humanity. The minute Jesus entered that sperm, he came out of time. He ceased to be eternal in our definition. The minute he entered Mary's womb, he died. The cross was inevitable. It was an, the whole plan is so supreme, so supreme and so sublime. You can't, you can't get it. So here you are. You're coming up here because I tell them, don't come to my church. Talk about no Valentine's Day. We're not doing it. I don't serve other deities in my church. I serve Jesus Christ. We're gonna serve the Lord Christ. 
Now, if you want to go and do that, that's fine. But I'm going to tell you right now, every year I curse Valentine's Day. I curse it with all the power I have. I curse it with my authority from being seated in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. I curse it because I outrank every devil. I curse it. And why aren't you? Since it's a fertility holiday. Fertility means it's a sexual holiday. Sex with anything, dog, cat, bird, long as you spill some seed for those devils. Is that all right? All right. Can I hit your bell? Yeah. All right. Wait a minute, I got a cow. Hold on. Got me a cow. Moo cow. Just want you to know, I'm a quick. Got me a moo cow. Sacred cow down. Sacred cow down. <laughs> Woo. Ain't that wonderful? Yo, I needed another toy. You know, it was getting a little, all I had was this here, you know. Got that. Uh-huh. And then I got this. Ha-ha. <laughs> Hit that Liberty Bell. All right. Valentine's Day. 
So you can do all of that. And yes, I am. I curse it. I'm a cursed cursor. Yes, I am. I'm cursing it to death. I want it to die. I want it to, I'm cursing Halloween. As a matter of fact, I put it on my heart. I said, Jesus, I'm cursing Halloween every day, starting the day it was for the year. So by the time we get there, ain't nobody making no money. Nobody going to shed no blood. Chicken's going to be safe. Animals going to be safe. We're not going to have, yeah, you know, they, they got to kill. They got to shed the blood. We already got the blood of the lamb. We got the blood of the lamb. Yes, I am. I decree. Yeah, I decree that in the name of Jesus Christ. See, it only rains because we let it rain. It stops when we say stop. All of this crazy here, the enemy is very good at seeing to it that the church never agrees on what we should halt and what we should exalt. That's what we have to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to get any better. You know, I, I told you I was up 4 o'clock. You know, Holy Ghost, but, you, you know, he wakes you up for a reason. Yeah. So I'm thinking I might as well fulfill the reason. So let's look at what we have going on here. Prank, present, person. How do you know God? By his print, the Bible, by his presence, the Holy Ghost, or his person, the man named Jesus? All of those are accurate, but they are supposed to lead you ultimately to the Lord Jesus Christ, who said that when we, when we love him and when we're faithful, he said something very powerful. He said, I will show myself to you. I will make my home in you. Me and my father will come and live in you. Now, your consciousness is what tells you whether or not you are which one you are? Where are you in this, in this whole thing? Are you, the, the Bible says, see, as much as I loved the faith movement, because the just shall live by faith, heaven runs on faith, faith is how God does everything, faith stopped at print. Huh. Didn't it? It stopped at print. Just quote that word. Just pick the scripture. Just go in and run around and get the one you... It stopped at print. So after you quoted the word, you know what else to do. Mm. What do we do next? Quote some more. I can't even tell you how many times those scriptures were quoted out of context, totally unrelated to each other. I I mean, I went to a church where they just took, if if the word was, if we were going to be talking about feast, they just took every every scripture related to feast, whether it fit, whether it didn't fit, whether it had sense, no logic. No continuity, nothing, just the, the word itself. It, and, it, and it's all right that you say how much it shows up, but could you tell me which ones go together? Because it didn't all go together. Because we had the Feast of Devils and the Feast of God. So I was okay with that. Now, it wasn't my, my personal flavor, because I felt like, well, after I read this book, I got to do something with it, which is what happens when you read any book. You read it, if it's not for entertainment, then you have to figure out what you're going to do with it. So then we got that, and then we moved into, remember, practicing the presence of God. Isn't that something? We're just practicing. We don't even know what that means. How do you practice a presence? (laughs) She said, but he's always present. So we went from print. Standing on the word to practicing the presence of God until those who decided, okay, those were great stop points because they are starting stop points. Do not walk away saying, well, you know, Dr. Price, no, no, no. 
We need the presence of God. And a lot of us practicing the presence had to do with recognizing that the presence was present. And then how to behave in his presence. How to worship in his presence. And then how to teach and pass on his presence, how to bring the church into his presence, how to bring your congregation, worship service. So that was needed. Just like the Bible is still needed. The Bible is the gateway. If you're going to do that, the word is the gateway. In the beginning was the word. So then with the word now correlates with the presence because Jesus says the Holy Spirit will take of what is his and show it to us. And he will lead us and guide us into all truth. But the person is the one that we are ultimately becoming. See, y'all didn't catch that. I got to drink something. What I got to drink? See, when you all don't get it, I have to drink stuff. Either that, I'm going to move this cow again. Y'all know how I'm going to move this cow. So the, the, we ha- the reason that we feel like we feel as if we can put the presence um, the person off is because we feel like we're not like Jesus, we're never like Jesus, and we won't be like Jesus until we die, which is the major mistake because yeah. by the time you're dead, you better die like Jesus. Right. Like you have to die as the person of Jesus Christ or you will still not be like Jesus. They don't have an afterlife turn you into Christ program. Yeah. You, you know, okay, so your body's gone. No, no. You have got to become this person. So the question is, you start, which part, where are you in the three? The print, the presence, or the person? Now, we started with the print, and the beginning was the word. And for years, we did the word. That's how we got theology and doctrine and apologetics and exegesis and all of those other things. We got them from the print. You know, we got all of the translations. But you notice something that you can do with print that you can't do with a person? And then you can change it. You can manipulate print. You can alter it. You can edit it. Cut it out. You cannot put Jesus in a software and say, we're going to move you around. Because he's like, but I am the software. Okay? So I'll be moving you around. So. Now, there's something that you can do with the presence that you can't do with the person. And you know what that is? Lie on it. Pretend. Err. Misdirect. Misrepresent. Say something is the Holy Ghost. And saying that the presence is the Holy Spirit. Because, see, God's got a lot of presence in the planet. He's a busy God. So he's got a great deal of presence in the planet. So we have to know which one is the right presence. Is it the presence of the Holy Ghost, the presence of the Holy Ghost as the Godhead, or is it the presence of a spiritual being? Because, see, they can pretend. They can imposter. They can masquerade. So you have to, So in order for you to get to the person, you've got to work out the distinctions and the delineations of the presence. What presence are you talking about? I feel the presence of, a Holy, of the Holy Spirit. Do you? How do we know that? How do you know it? Right. Well, because it made me feel what? Well, we need to make sure that that presence lines up with the person, the way your shadow will line up with you. 
See, your shadow is fixed. It is you. Now, we may not see the the attributes of you in your shadow, but God does, and so does individual, uh, invisible beings. So you have got to learn what is the Holy Ghost. Well, we know the fruit of the Spirit. We know the gifts of the Spirit. We know the Word of God. But do we? Because, you see, we have a passage, this, a, 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 what do you call it, a doctrine that says, Know the spirit by the spirit. So I'm going to know the presence by the presence? Right. And that is not in Scripture. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, and I just get it right, so I will flip. But it said, what? Try of the spirit. Did it say that? To see if it be of God. Now, when you go to your spiritual classes, do you, in fact, First John 4, do you, in fact, know the Spirit? Yeah? Do you know it? So I'm going to read this because, you know, I don't know how to flip this back and forth. We're going to learn that, though, Rachel. You and I, we've been tearing this thing up. It's good. Mm-hmm. But when you look at this, and it says, 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, mm-hmm. but try the Spirit whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Do you see the power of a prophet in that statement? So we start out talking about spirits, and then next thing we know, we're talking about prophets. So that's telling you that prophets are representative of a spirit. So think about the false prophets with the three frogs coming out of the mouth, which are unclean spirits. Is that right? So it says, now, this is how you know, or hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Now, they will, you have to listen to people's language because it's, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah, what do you believe about him? Well, I believe he was a prophet. I believe he was a good man. I like it. No, no. He come. That means he's from. He not of this world. He was not made of this world. He entered the planet. He wasn't born in the planet from the planet sea or the earth. When you're, if you're going to be really defending this thing, you need to be a master at discerning and distinguishing. You have to be very discriminatory. The word come is the deciding factor. Well, I believe that, but I just don't believe he was born of a virgin. Then you don't believe he comes in the flesh. Isn't that helpful? See, because you have to pay attention to what people say, but what's being said by what they are not saying. So I don't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. I don't believe that he was the son of God. I don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. I don't believe that he came. You're talking about them. Come. You're talking about the Jews. They still don't think he came. We got a whole faith, a whole billions of people who have turned the world upside down, and yet, in their mind, he's not come in the flesh. So they'll give us credit for the Holy Ghost, but Jesus has not come in the flesh. If this is your Bible, you should highlight that because that, and I mean, if you just discuss that alone, we can keep that going for a while. 
Now, the next verse, and every spirit that confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. Because you can't be saved if you have questions about whether or not Jesus came in the flesh. You're not saved because that's, that's one of the, the, the anchors, the organs of the redemptive process. You cannot be saved if you don't believe the Bible is inspired. So you got all of these pastors who just love having you sit in their pews, and you know, enjoy that. But understand, just because you sit in their pews under their favor and, and approval doesn't mean that you're going to stand in God's world. Because God knows that unbelief does not come from him. So you're going to go where the God who makes you hold on to that is banished. These are very important things. So it says, and he tells you, and this is that spirit of Antichrist. So Antichrist simply means against Christ. So if you don't believe Jesus was born a virgin, you're an Antichrist. If you don't believe the Bible is inspired the word of God, you're an Antichrist. If you don't believe that heaven is real or hell is real, you're an antichrist. Why? Because you're going against what Christ says is so in his creation. See, that's why a lot of the church needs to get we need we need to put that give y'all 30 days of the gospel. We need to evangelize the church. We need to evangelize the pulpit. And then we evangelize the pews. Before we go and make the world a twofold child of sin. Now, he goes on to say you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world hears them. Now, why is that important? That's a good passage because all of the times you go to church and you say, he, 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 my preacher is just like us. My preacher say just what we say. My preacher raps. My preacher cusses. My preacher drinks. My preacher fornicates. My preacher... Your preacher is not saved. You're not saved because you don't recognize that your preacher is not saved. And you and your preacher are going to hell. And you're not going to hell because God's going to send you. You're going to hell because you didn't do what it takes to get out of it. <laughs> you want the cow? <laughs> she likes the moo cow. Come on. Yeah, when they put him on a mic. Elsie, down. <laughs> Down with Elsie, the sacred cow. See, here's what I want you to get. The way we've taught hell makes it seem like you're going there when you die, but you've never been there. No. Jesus went to hell because hell owns all souls. Ezekiel, behold, all souls are mine, and the soul that sins, it shall die. Meaning, die is not, now your body dies and goes back to the dust. Your soul dies because it loses the power to rise. I will ransom them from the grave, from the waterless pit. So everybody is born a child of hell, but a product of the creator. So you're God's handiwork, but you're hell's property. See, we don't preach this gospel in a way that makes you want to get saved. So you think we want you to be a good Christian, come to our church, and give us a lot of money. Yeah, that's secondary. Because if a, if a church is really in God, those, the, the one thing they want is to get God's souls out of hell. We don't 
teach you that. And they wrote it kind of strange in this Bible because they were competing with the Hindu and the Buddhist and all of those other afterlife uh, doctrines, nirvana, purgatory, whatever. And God wants you to understand you, Jesus, could not go back home. Somebody needs to hear this gospel. So this is the gospel from an apostle's mantle. Because even our evangelists who should have this thing burning in their guts are evangelizing you to culture. Uh-huh. And they're anesthetizing your guilt so that you can't repent. Because culture, culture anesthetizes your guilt. And you need guilt to repent. Psychology numbs your guilt so you can't repent. And if you don't repent, that's why you, then you don't come out. Your, your, your ticket to hell, your birth certificate to hell is not changed. That is why Peter said to make them a two-fold child of hell. That is what he's talking about, obligated to go to hell. You're duty-bound to go to hell. You are constructed, mortally Constructed, you were mortalized to live in hell. That's why you must be born again, not pewed, but born. See, this is the gospel from apostles' doctrine. Well, I just don't believe God's going to send everybody to hell. You're right, he's not. He's just not getting them out. Is that all right? Look at my prophets. I love these prophets. and They'd be like, oh. Because they understand. See, they're the ones who wrote this thing before we got here. It was a prophet who told us about Ezekiel, from Ezekiel 36, who told us about the new birth. It was a prophet that did that. And these prophets are not, the whole idea, we don't preach the gospel. You prophets that don't get people saved, they're not prophets of Jesus Christ, is the one who told us. This is what the new birth is. I will take you from the nations. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will give you a new spirit, and then I will put my Holy Spirit. Now, all of those are the procedural elements of the new birth. Now, that was a prophet. Mm-hmm. Prophets who don't care about your soul, you need to be concerned. So when we start talking hell, hell owns you, and hell is the only one not telling you. Because the Bible says hell was created for the devil and his angels. Jesus said, but you're going to go there, meaning your soul right now is in the the planet of decision and disposition. Earth is decision and disposition. When people say, I just think heaven and hell are on, um, on earth, yeah, you're right to some degree. You're right because it's a causeway and a pathway to either one. But you don't go to hell because you sin unless you got born again and you were removed from hell's roles and written in the Lamb's Book of Life and you apostatized. Now you're going to hell because you were bought out. God paid the ransom. He had to pay Satan for your soul. Satan required the blood of a deity. He just didn't believe that Jesus Christ would bleed for us. Because I'm sure he would have had another 
another price. That is why Bible talks about us being adopted. Our souls must be adopted by God. And that adoption has a cost. And it's the blood of the creator who made all humanity. No blood could pay the price for humanity other than Jesus Christ because he's the blood that was breathed into Adam's nostril. You cannot be an apostle and you don't know God's program. That is what I mean by figuring God out. So in figuring God out, question becomes, what, is, what are the progressive ways to knowing the Lord? We want to say we have the mind of Christ, but Jesus Christ had the mind of his pre-earth experience with all of his creatures. He had the mind of the man that had to war with a rebellious angel who actually abducted a third of his angelic hosts, abducted them, cast them to earth. So he was a dragon on earth because it said his tail reached. and See, if you don't deal with God's issues, you will never ever understand God enough to become what he needs you to be. You will be a good worshiper. Nobody's going to fault you for that. You'll be a good devotion or devotee. I love Jesus. You will be a good minister. You'll be a good worker. You'll be a good laborer, but you won't be like him. You may love him, and he likes that. That's step one. But that love is is supposed to lead you to become like him, to become as he is in this world. That's the purpose of it all that God would get Jesus multiplied infinite numbers of time throughout the ages until the end of the world in all of the people whose seeds, whose spiritual seeds were in him before the foundation of the world. When Jesus fought the dragon, you were in him. When he took out the serpent, you were in him. See, your spirit was in him. When he did cast, banished him, when, you, when he judged him, you were in him. In the same way, your reproductive material is in you while you live life, mm-hmm. while you do what you do. You were in him. When the Holy Spirit came to the planet, Jesus dumped you from his physiological or his form being into his Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit brought you to the planet. He brought the the spirit of you who was in Christ before the foundation of the world to the planet on Pentecost. That's how they all got saved. They didn't just get saved because of Peter's gospel, because what Peter's gospel did was enact Ezekiel 36. Repentance. Without repentance, there is no remission of sin. I don't care how many altars you've been on. I don't care how many times you sniffed and snot. I don't care how many times you laid out before God. God does not care about your fasting. He doesn't care about anything. Penitence. He needs you to repent. Why? Because repent relieves your being, your soul, from the pent-up sin that Satan locked in it. You must be born again. You must be born again. He didn't say it's a good idea. He said, you must be born again. Why must you be born again? Are you all listening to me out there? 
You must be born again because you are, that's the only thing that qualifies you for eternal life and delivers you from eternal damnation. The new birth, that means that these are two, for lack of a better word, these are two types of beings. One's dark, the other's light. One's dead, the other's living. You understand? So in God's realm, they have no dead. That's why Satan was cast out. He was the prince of darkness. He was the prince of the dead. He was cast out because in God's world, he could not survive. He doesn't like light here. Why do you think clubs and, and all of those kinds of things are dark? They're de- devils can't, they, they can't function in light, which is why they keep trying to come after who are the children of light. Born again. You must have the light and life of Christ. Why? Because only they deliver mortality. You should study at length John chapter 5. It makes the, it lays it out, and, it, and it, I have to say, like most, it then so God just turned the light on. And he said, but if you, then you from death to life. I've had people say to me that he came to save the lost, and I've had people say, but I wasn't lost. Well, no, you're not lost to you. You're not lost. not even lost to the planet, but guess who you are lost? You're lost to your maker. He can't claim you. That's why you out there talking about you hope somebody in the universe will step in. (laughs) Did y'all want a little more Elsie? Okay. Because I like Elsie. She said she didn't want any more Elsie. You don't like her? She gets off your desk. She's over here where she's loved. And she's utilized. Listen, I know. Apostle to Apostle Delphi. Just in case you didn't know what that was. I'm not giving it back. So, you can bang on the table. Oh, wait a minute, you got that little bell over there. You can go back to your green bell. Yes. Yeah. Don't be like that. <laughs> I just want you all to know. See, she, she had been promoted. See what happens when the ministers lose their way? We give them the old stuff. <laughs> Sorry, baby. Come on. Come on. There you go. See? And this is how we make up. No? <laughs> oh, God. I, but, but I want you to understand, the new birth is not a theological, allegorical thing. It literally is the, what qualifies to say to Satan, this is mine. You look at a lot of people who suffer in the world today, and you start asking, well, God, why won't he fix it? God has two ways to fix things at least. I'll say that. The first one, he said he always comes for his own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but they've been in church all day. He said, I come for my own. Now, what? 
tells him that you're his. The Bible says that we are sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit has us in a seal. And in short, we're shrink-wrapped. And we are in this seal until God comes to get us or until we get angry with the boredom, what we perceive to be boredom of Christianity, and we pierce that veil and we step out. Now, the shrink wrap for us is God's spiritual membrane. The glory seals us. But you don't get that if you're not born again. The second thing that will make God intervene is that it's a part of his eternal purpose. In other words, it's, he's doing it at, on his prerogative. He's not doing it because, well, he's obligated. God is not obligated to do anything because he feels like all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He feels like that was a good idea. <laughs> Isn't that a good idea? How am I going to manage it? I tell you what, I'll put them all under sin. Yeah. And that's what he did. He put us all under sin in Adam's loins. And he kept the eternal part of us in Jesus Christ. So when you get born again, that part of you that was in Jesus Christ now comes into you from seed to being. So if you're going to learn the person of Jesus Christ, you have to think like he thinks. Jesus has weighty responsibilities. He thinks very differently. I've said before, you hear People talk about, but I just don't think that he was pure. I think that he had sex. If he did, I don't even want to talk about what happened to the woman that he would, but that's a whole other thing because I'm sure. (laughs) I can't imagine. So if he did, (laughs) if he did, but now if a man releases 2 million sperm, what would he have released? And she certainly would have had more than one kid. Nothing dies in Christ. And he just, I'm going to use all the mix. I just think I want to do it. And so, so, I mean, the children of God know why Jesus couldn't. (laughs) Don't you wish you had your bell? (laughs) So God's offspring knows what it means. He could not has spilled his seed. God killed two men for spilling their seed on the ground. Why? He said, I'm out for populating. What are you doing? Killed them. I mean, when you think about it, you're like, but God, I mean, I mean, that's not their fault. Because in his mind, my progeny is in, was in that sperm that you dumped on the ground. Those are God's issue with how we handle our sexuality. Oh, true. I know. But they're also why Satan needs perversion of your sexuality. He needs that. Jesus could not and would not because he's a good steward over what God gave him. He wasn't just a good steward over the message. He wasn't just a good steward over those that followed him. He was also a good steward over his body that was in it. And the one thing he knew is that uh, just like Adam did, he carried the whole of the new creation in his being. Adam carried the whole of humanity on earth in his being. First Adam, last Adam. So if last Adam is the Lord from heaven, you would think that he'd know that he cannot waste his sperm. 
see, life is funny. You know, creation is very funny. This is just an aside, and then I'll go to the other pieces. But creation is funny. As long humans wanted to have more kids than they aborted, the sperm and egg count was high. Did you notice supply and demand? You notice that since abortion, infertility is high. They said men have the lowest sperm count than they've had in decades. In some countries, they're not getting the mail. Isn't that interesting? China started killing all of those girls. They couldn't get women to be born. These are real. Why? Because God works on supply and demand, too. You don't, you don't need it, you lose it. Y'all all right? So when, you, when God gets a, and, and I'll tell you something, the Asians and the Middle Eastern know it because they tell you, yeah, well, we're going to take over your country because y'all keep killing your kids. We don't have to worry about anything. Our, our, just a little bit we planted. Why do you think they're planting all of these people here? Because they know America kills their future. America kills their seed. They know that. And so they're, listen to this because this is very important. They know America kills their seed, but this is what they, we don't realize is that we think that we are exercising our liberty and we don't understand eternity's creator law of supply and demand. A lot of these people with fertility issues have had several abortions. A lot of men have, have masturbated themselves right out of the only the five or ten children they were given from God. You're not going to get it. You know? So, you know, God's okay. Go and abort, you know, go and, um, what do you call it? Huh. Adopt. But look at how creation works. Now, if animals can grow extinct, Come on. because if that didn't work, why are they extinct? Because extinction comes from we're killing them, so they're not around to reproduce. So we don't need that sperm and egg. Gone. So the same extinction that has taken animals off our planet, out of that population, is happening to humans. This is important. Not to mention... As I've said before, abortion doesn't just kill babies. It kills generations. Sixty million aborted babies. Fifty percent are black. So who's going to be extinct first? Thank God for the Africans. <laughs> like, we're going to need we're going to need the Africans to keep the color. Keep a little color in the planet. Thank y'all. We appreciate y'all for keeping it going. Hallelujah. Love my African folk because they're going to keep us going. You know, y'all holding it down and we flushing it down. Yeah. 50% black in this country. So where's the extinction? Very soon, we're going to be like all of the other races before us, not able to conceive. Because God, is, if God is, because God does things in mass, so when you use up that supply, if you haven't done the law of replenishment, it ends. 
I hope somebody out there is listening because, you yeah. know, you're trying, to, you're trying to entertain an abortion, wondering if God's going to forgive you. you no, know, the fact that you can ask. So these are our, our choices. Holy Bible, print, presence, Holy Ghost, and then, of course, Jesus the person. Everything about creation, as we've been teaching, especially about salvation, is organic. It's a being. It is not a philosophy. It's not a thought line. Now, what is, here's a look at some of the ways God thinks. Here's one, preface for figuring God out. Deuteronomy, oh, that there was such a, Deuteronomy 5.29, oh, that there was such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. So this generation's kids are dealing with the generation that did not want to keep his commandments. Mm-hmm. Now, you can see how that works with Hezekiah where Hezekiah gets this prophecy, you're going to be dead, and, and, and Hezekiah repents, because repentance is a big thing with God. Ahab repented. Why did he even let Ahab repent? But that's all right. He repented. They never got it right. But God delights in mercy. He still didn't get it right, though. I mean, you know, still, it's just, he just weren't able. It just, but, you know, and so weren't, he weren't there, you know. And, and so... He, Hezekiah, repent, God gives him 15 more years, and he makes the most, to me, pathetic statement anyone can make. And he said, well, at least there's going to be peace in my time. I didn't care, but he had already sold into the future and into the seed that was in him, as well as that that was living. He had sold in them disobedience to God contempt for God's laws and ways. He did that. So even though the the Lord says that the sins of the father will not be paid for, will not fall on the son, that the consequences of that act won't, but the culture will. He's faithful. You know, you go and and, and commit a crime, God's not going to throw you in jail because your dad committed a crime but he is going to let you live out the culture, the, uh, the consciousness that produces the culture of criminality. So that's how it passes on. So we go from consequence to consciousness to culture. So even though the child never did, wouldn't, it's still what it believes and how it behaves and how it thinks and how that child um, carries their life in the earth will have great measures of that parent's uh, influence from home life, table talk, from examples, from eavesdropping. Kids always eavesdropping. But so even though it won't hit your kid like that, now that is why when you get saved late in life, your kid's cut up. They're like, what? Why do I have to go to church? I'm like, just because you found Jesus doesn't mean I have to change my life. <laughs> Consciousness. No, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to, I don't want to pray. I don't want to learn the Bible. I don't want to do culture. Yeah. And from culture, you get behavior. So even though 
when he said, with your children forever, he's letting you know, your great-great-granddaddy cast me off. And then that child that they had didn't pick me up because they didn't know I exist. Right. Or they didn't know that I wanted them in my life. And then you can go on down the line. So until someone gets saved and they, you know, they spend, you know, come up and stand for Jesus and start again. Think about Seth and his son. Seth brought the change, but the son acquired God's mercy, brought God back. So how you, you raise your children, and you know how it is. Many of you all, you say your children get to pick their own faith, and they get to decide what church they want to go to, and they get to decide if they want to go to Bible study or, or, or learn the Bible. You, gave, you left all spirituality on your kid while every other reality you're controlling. But what happens is the same spirit that seduced you gains entrance to the seed and thus the genetic tree, which breeds that consciousness, or as my daughter is fond of saying, epigenetics. See, that is how that passes on. And eventually, you do anything long enough, you assimilate it in your makeup. So it no longer becomes a conscious action. It now becomes an intrinsic attribute or trait. See, so all of this is needful for you to decide how you want your children to think about Jesus Christ. Because a lot of what they say, they got from you. Well, I don't, I don't you know, I don't do that, but I'm not religious, but I don't, all of that, they got that from you. Now, world in crises, you want to tell God he owes you. Parents to interact with God. Treat God special. Don't be casual, impudent, or indifferent. Going back to what I just said, treat God special. So what does that mean? Well, first of all, separate yourself from what God has already let you know or says in his word offends him. You're gonna let, if you want to interact with God, you want to figure God out, you're going to have to give up some friends, those cussing friends, those drinking friends, those reverie friends. You have to give them up, those lying friends, deceptive, whoring friends. You have to give them up. Why? Because their spirits mingle with yours, and they influence your consciousness. And once your consciousness is, is influenced, your conduct is fixed around that. So you want to separate yourself. The second thing is you want to prepare yourself. And sometimes people do that with fasting. Sometimes you fast food. Others fast entertainment. You can fast um, your movies or whatever. You can fast television. You can fast all your books, whatever. You, you, you know, so whatever it is, God will tell you. I don't think anybody should just take an arbitrary fast. You should talk to the Lord if he's going to receive this. Now, we have samples of this in what the Bible calls a Nazarite vow. Right. And the Nazarite right vow is just that, total consecration. Um, not, they're not, you know, drinking any, they say no wine or anything. They're not interacting with the world. And that's for a period of time for them to either break a yoke or to move up in God, to move up in Christ. And that's difficult today. If it was hard for them, God knows with the cell phones and the, okay, because you can say you look, I'm just looking at the weather and, Next thing you know, you're on Facebook because you're looking at the weather, okay? And then 
Well, I mean, he didn't get me for looking at the weather so I could play my game. All right. So he didn't get me for playing a game. Hey, why not watch a movie? And before you know it, your consecration is over before it starts. In 15 minutes. That's it. You know? You're done. You're done. I'm finished. All right? The next one is exalt God. You cannot get in God's presence mumbling and grumbling and telling him all the things, all the problems you have with him. They'll, that will come out in your, in your time later, down, later on. But he said, enter his courts with what? And his gates with? And then he said, be thankful and bless his name. If that's all you got, you say that every time you get ready to go and, and get, move into your God time. Because you can't get in. You think about uh, Moses. The Holy Spirit is so interested in telling us about himself. You really should start this with a great expectation that God is going to meet you in a very unique way, very distinct way, but a potent way. So when you think about Moses, Moses is like, show me your glory. I want to see your glory. I've done all of these major things. God said, okay. So two things we see from God. First of all, God is deadly. He said, I'm going to put you in the cleft of this rock. His being is deadly. It's like electricity. Those, those transformers out there, they're deadly. Yes. So they're harnessed, they're, they're coated, so that they don't kill you or burn your house down. Right. So the first thing he knows is that God knows that he's more powerful than Moses can imagine. Now, Moses has learned all of the gods of Egypt. He has played with them. He knows them, understands them. He's really there. And yet, the Almighty says, I'm putting this rock because I can't let you see my face. Because the glory in my face and the righteousness in my face will so convict you, you will want to die. Because all your wrongs, all of your thises, and all of your that will be seen in the reflection of my eye. So I'm going to let you see the hind parts. You get to see the back part. Then the second thing, Moses did not know God enough to praise him. He had yet to learn to praise him. Remember, he's raised Egyptian. So he doesn't know, and his job is to teach the people. So nobody can praise God when God shows up but God. So God appears praising himself. (laughs) I got you. The Lord, the Lord, strong and mighty, he's telling Moses, this is who's showing up. This is my God. And he's letting him know, when we get together, you start with praise, not pity. Praise. So you enter his, I'm coming, Lord, I'm visiting. I'm coming in with the gates. I'm getting through the gates because I'm getting to the court. You've got to get there and praise. You can't go there with all of your issues with God, all of the criticisms, all of your murmuring and complaining, because God has super unmeasurable defense reflexes. So he keeps you away so he doesn't have to kill you. Because it's offensive. It doesn't just offend him like his ears, his sensibilities. It literally assaults him. So whatever spot you are in him, you're ravaging it with your criticism. Because remember, it's organic. He's not a statue. 
You know, you can you can smash a statue. <laughs> you think about others. He was just trying to help God out. I mean, you were in my house. I dusted you. I polished you. <laughs> I don't understand. I thought we were tight, you know. I, thought we were, I, I, I moved you. I put you on a mantle. I opened you up and showed my friends all of you. So I don't understand. Why are you acting like this? I did all of this. You know, because the ark was in his house. You know, he was like, I'm taking care of God. I'm taking care of God all this time. What is his problem? A lot of saints are like that. I'm taking care of you all this time. And then all of a sudden he lashes out. Why are you lashing out? Killed him. He killed him because of how he was handled. He killed him because his leaders did not know how to bring him home. He killed him because they did. The priests were not taking care of him. And he killed him because for all that time he was irritated and offended that he couldn't defend himself in the house of someone who didn't know better. He was glad to come home, but y'all not going to bring me home on some cows, see? Even he didn't like a little moo cow. He was like... (laughs) (laughs) He didn't want that mooing. He said he wanted people's... He wanted to come home on people's shoulders, not on a cow's back. To bell back. Yeah. You're a punishment. You're going to behave. Probably not. Probably not. Okay. <laughs> By the way, see? Uh, <laughs> the earth is in balance. <laughs> but understand, because a lot of people don't. He's like, when I was there, I, there were no priests. Those people weren't priests. They were villagers. They were farmers. I was in their house, the ark of God, all this time. And they were doing anything they wanted to do with him, having the neighbors come over. So what do you think it's going to do? Is the lights going to come on? I don't know. Maybe they will come out. <laughs> you know, when we get that beam, did you hear that sound? Maybe he'll do that hum. <laughs> and he couldn't kill him because they didn't know any better. But he did know the priest knew better. And David should have known better. So you realize all of Saul's tenure, the ark wasn't with God's people. So that is why David's priesthood could be a substitute, because the priesthood entirely lapsed. So the point that I wanted you to get is exalt God, because you think it doesn't matter. He has said, I'm going to have mercy. He said, I'm going to be merciful. So he, but he said, I'm going to be merciful to your transgression, and I'm going to get you with the blows of men. We kind of like the pieces that we, uh, we agree with. Cleanse. You've got to cleanse yourself. That means you've got to, whatever spot is going to be you and God's gathering place, that needs to be cleansed. You want to anoint it. I do. I just, you know, anoint it. You want to make sure that he doesn't have to listen to raunchy music and watch nasty programs and things like that. You know, you want to do that. Some people build an altar. I don't need one because of where I am in God, but if that's what makes you a good point of contact for you, if that's what, what draws you to him, because will, you will know what God wants because he will tell you what draws you to him by how he reacts at a certain point or in a certain place. So you want to cleanse it, and then you want to irrigate yourself. That means you want to wash yourself with the word. Wash yourself with the word, the washing of the regeneration of the word. You want to do that, and then you want to arrange your schedule and your lifestyle so you don't break your word. God, I will meet you every day at 10. Oops, 
Lord. Sorry, Lord. Thought I could, God. And then the most important part, I think, is when you get audience with the Lord, listen to learn. Don't go there with your prayer list, your bucket list, your amount with your list, your ministry list. Go there with him like that. Now, once you do that, so the first thing is remember the acronym special. And then after that, here's some behavior attitudes you want to pay attention to. These are some some contact touch points. Number one, you go with the attitude that God is God. He is not your buddy first. He's your God first. He is to be revered. You're not going to talk to him like he's some sort of devil, like you talk to your friends. God is God. He just wants you to know that he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that first that he is. Then we'll get to the reward. But can we get to the fact <laughs> Okay, second, Jesus is God's only way. I don't care what your religion says. I don't care about any of that. The way to God is the living way, not a dead way. So your candles and, your, and all of that, that's for you. That is not for God. God doesn't need any of that. He's, he's like, I'm on the inside. I am light. If I want your candle lit, I'll light it myself, okay? I can do that. So Jesus is his only way. So you must come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and with his reverence. Jesus taught you how to reverence God. And then God is not a king alone. Stop yelling at him as if he's a a sole proprietor. He is the only possessor. But God has worlds. He has realms. He has systems. He has principalities. He has kings and thrones and dominions and all of those kinds of things. Anybody hearing me? So God wants you to understand that When I bless you, I have to move heaven and earth. I have to move different things. I've got to turn on things. I've got to get this angel from over here to over where you are. I don't see that in the Bible. I see it with Gabriel. I was battling. I'm in a war. God takes him out of the heat of battle to send him to Daniel to answer. And he says, what am I going to do next? I got to go back to war. He's got to move angels around. He's got to move his forces around. He's got to move humans around. He's got to touch hearts. It is not easy. Somebody going to hear me when I say this. So you go there yelling about, I'm sorry, Jesus, you got 24 hours. He knew he had 24 hours. He gave himself 24 hours. Ah! So now God moves. So when he moves, act as if you are going to partner with him. That's why he tells you you need patience instead of pity. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage. Wait, I say. On the Lord. Understand God is controlling all things. He's controlling every character, every provider, every visitor. He's controlling it all. And he likes working down to the last minute because it leaves very little room for devils to intervene or intercept or interrupt. So there's a reason why God brings it down to the wire. You know, I would just, I just wish you'd have said ninth hour though. Nice, good, nice, comfortable. Yeah, for us, just a little bit. So you have, and I can teach on this whole number three all day long. And then God is all knowing, which is what I kind of threw in number three. God knows. For example, God, you want God to fire your boss so that you can get a promotion because they don't like him. God only needs to give him a reason to stay home so that the substitute does the job because he still needs that person in that spot. When we grow up and we become true 
offspring of the Godhead, and we truly adopt Jesus' mind, prayers will be very different. Because a lot of our prayers don't get answered because they're like, our prayers come up like stupid questions. But God, you could do anything. All right, got that covered. Yep, anything. All right. But so, God, you ought to be able to do this. You ought to be able to close this company down. 4,000 people I'm going to put out of work because you don't want to get there on time. Oh. And you don't think you should be corrected for being late. See, we don't realize God has a wisdom. He is not going to take the path of destruction when the path of least resistance keeps everything he's doing intact. And then God is eternal and ancient. Eternal means his world. Ancient means the foundation of our world. So don't act as if God is not in touch that he doesn't get it. You know, when you hear people talk about the Bible is outdated, what part? I just need you to tell me what part other than the long clothes and the rustic and the primitivity, okay? So we can go with that. But what about all of these other things that you're doing? Where is that outdated? Because God's got a lot of sex in that Bible, a lot of booze in that Bible, okay? A lot of crime in the Scriptures. God has rape and like you wouldn't believe in the Bible, a lot of abuse. So tell me, where is the obsolete peace? I know where it is. Because Jesus arrested the demons and the devils that were responsible for it. He made a show of them openly. He rounded up. And so, therefore, he took the spiritual power away. And now he's dealing with their progeny, the soul of those that they begot. Last, next one, I have an ear to hear. That should be good, don't you think? Have an ear to hear. In other words, stop telling God what he meant and what he said. You don't need to think for him, and he doesn't really need you to speak your thoughts in his name or put your thoughts in his mouth. He wants to put his in yours. Isn't it simple? This is like really simple stuff. Isn't it really simple? It's not simple. Don't you think it's simple? Yeah. <laughs> All right, social media, do you all think it's simple? All right. Okay, now, finish with this thought. Jesus is the only way. You're going to hear a lot of religions say that there are a lot of ways to God. There are a lot of ways to God. Hindus have him. Buddhists have him. Muslims have him. Pagans have him. They all have a way to God, but not to redemption. Redemption is only in Jesus Christ. So there is salvation in no other name except the name of Jesus. No other name is given under heaven whereby humanity must be saved but the name of Jesus. So they're right. You know, Satan always have a piece of right, a flick of right, and all his wrong. Doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Little flick of right. So when they say that, don't go and say, well, yeah, just like they go and say, well, you know, God, I mean, all of them are God. No, no. God gave one name under heaven whereby we must be saved. That is the name of Jesus. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed 
of the devil. For this cause, the Son of God was manifest, that he may destroy the works of the devil. Is anybody hearing me? So don't buy their lie. Just, and, and don't say Allah and God are the same thing, because God has a first name and a second name and a third name. Allah has one name. Allah. See, that was your turn. <laughs> she gets lost in her revelation. Though. So God has two names that he's given outside of God. Now, Jesus has, we don't even know how many names. But God's name, God's first name <clears throat> is Yahweh. His second name is Yeshua. Those are his redemptive names. Those are his salvation names. Now, if you're talking about his generic name, that God is kind of like saying human. You know, that's the nature. That's the distinction of nature. I know, don't y'all just love me? Yes. See, you, so you listen to them say, that's why we can have a Islam. Well, no, you really can't because they are not giving up Allah for Yahweh. They are not. And they're certainly not going to give up Allah for Yeshua. And every God has a following that it begot with some sort of progeny. And Allah did not beget Abraham. Abram, yes. Abraham, no. But if you don't know your doctrine <clears throat> and you don't know your Bible, you will believe that. I've heard preachers say that. Well, this is all God. No, no, no. That's like somebody saying to you, um, one type of woman is every kind of woman. We get mad. We're going to fight. You know, I mean, look around this room. We got, not only do we have different colors, but guess what we got? We got different shades of white, different shades of brown. Come on. So you have got to know Jesus is the only way, and then he's the only way to his father. Ishmael is not Isaac. Isaac is not Ishmael. Now, they may come from Abraham. But God said, in Isaac will your seed be blessed. Jacob, who gave us the 12 tribes. Ish, Abraham begot Ishmael, who gave us 12 princes. And God called them the wild ones. That's in the Bible. So he's going to be wild and hairy and all of that kind of stuff. Okay? And then Jesus is the only door to eternity. He said, I am the door. Everyone else comes in by another way. But God says, I'm in the door. And then he said something very peculiar. He said, I know my sheep, and I call them by their name. How do you know my name, Jesus? Right. I mean, I'm Gentile. How you call me? He's sending another flock, another fold. Why? Because he's calling the names in him, in the foundation of the world before the foundation. So he's calling you by the name he named you. Even though your mama gave you one name, <clears throat> Jesus calls you something else. Mm -hmm. And lastly, and which I think is important, and that is Jesus is the veil that replaced Israel's cloth. So biologics, biotics replaced material. So we, we enter him by a new and living way, which is the veil of his flesh. That says organic to me. I don't know about you all. That says biologic, biotic to me. So we will 
pick this up at another time, but I thought that it was – did you all feel like you got enough to get started with snuggling up and cuddling up with the Holy Ghost? Yeah. Hallelujah. Well, I thank you for joining me today. I thank my studio audience. You know, I love you all. You all get, get me all fired up. I get inflamed. It's wonderful. Yeah. All these dudes. Okay. I thank you for that. And then I thank you all for joining me on social media. I love you dearly. And I love reading your comments. I really do pay attention to them. Um, but, and also, if you got blessed today, sow a seed. And sow a significant seed. Sow a seed in getting you back in your place in God, but also getting God back in your presence. Not you in his presence only, but for wanting God to get back in your presence. So that in your house, it, he feels at home. In your church, he feels at home. So, so we'll see, I'm sure, at um, Green. And don't forget, next week we start, come and learn the mind of a principality because some of you are called to be one. And until then, we will see you at the embassy, home of the congregation of the mighty, where God stands. God bless you. Have a great weekend. <laughs>